All throughout 2022, we've been telling stories from World War II, mostly by focusing on specific battles and the often questionable moves of world leaders. This time, we're mixing it up a little by taking a look at the war through the eyes of a singular infantry division. This American force went from North Africa through Italy and France before driving a dagger into the heart of Nazi Germany. Along the way, they became the most decorated division in U.S. history and featured multiple winners of the Congressional Medal of Honor. In this episode of HPH, we're telling you the story of the division and focusing on several men whose actions would not only win them medals, but also make them American military legends. It's time to grab your drinks, wrap yourself in the American flag, and settle in for this episode of 100 Proof History, titled The Third Infantry Division, Metal Moments. This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Hello and welcome in, ladies, gentlemen, small children, medium children, fuck off. <laughs> You guys constantly send hateful messages, you're no fun, and you're the ones that are going to get us in trouble, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Y'all don't need to be listening to this shit. Small children can't understand. It's like those um, those kind of sexual innuendos you find in Disney movies back in the day. That You watch it as a kid, right over your fucking head, mm -hmm. you see it as an adult, and it's like, oh, they're talking to the parents on this one. Yeah. That's pretty cool. They were talking Pretty about cool. oral sex right there. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'm Greg, and I'm joined by my uh, sexy co-host, Chris. Uh, Chris, you ever think of, you know, just with this subject, I feel like an, it's a, a naturally occurring thought. What would I do in this situation? How would I be in battle? Do you ever think of that? Oh, yeah. Every time I read one of these stories, I'm not going to lie. And every time I know I'd be a cowardly mess. Okay. I'd be the one telling these guys, no, 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 come back, stupid. They're going to shoot at you. Come back. Like, I would be the opum from Saving Private Ryan. Like, I, I'm talking a big game, and then I just watch a bunch of people get killed and shoot a prisoner to make myself feel like a big man. <laughs> See, I feel like I would be similar to, actually, an American hero. Oh, okay. Um... You may have seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's a, the story of Desmond Doss. And for those that are not in the know, he was a conscientious objector, mm -hmm. but he was drafted into the war. Jehovah's Witness, I believe. Yeah, and a Jehovah's Witness, but a conscientious objector, which means he's not going to harm another person. It's a tenant that he lives by. And I feel like, we're basically the same. We're basically <laughs> the same man. We're built the same, mm -hmm. but I would totally cower in a foxhole in the big battles. You know, <laughs> like the story would not be about like, oh, he ended up like saving all of these people. <laughs> it would be the story of a gigantic coward, a conscientious objector 
who didn't join the fight at all. Like, that's how much you objected to it. Mm, a conscientious <laughs> pussy. I would be in a foxhole in the fetal position with my thumb in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, no, that's how I feel every time I read one of these stories. And like it, the, this, the World War One stuff we did all last year, we're like, okay, we're going to blow the whistle. You're over the top. Like, fuck, I am. <laughs> you can shoot me. I've seen how you guys shoot. Maybe you'll just wound me instead of fucking kill me like those guys are going to do as soon as I poke my head out of this fucking trench. And that's, uh, that's what's wrong with the America today, I feel. I feel like we've uh, pussified our nation, as we've said before. The pussification of America is complete. Yeah. And I will tell you, I am part of that problem. <laughs> I am absolutely 100% part of that, yes. <laughs> but they did this to me. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, today we are talking about war heroes who did not hide in the foxholes, and our main source is Against All Odds, a true story of ultimate courage and survival in World War II by Alex Kershaw. And I gotta say, you know, from 2022, this is one of my favorite books we've done this year. Uh, in the Heart of the Sea was really good for our Whaleship Essex episode. But this one, man, this one was really good. It was real page turner. Felt, uh, I think I told you off air, it reminded me a lot of Band of Brothers. Mm -hmm. Where you have like this story of just basically one unit's progress through Europe and you, you grow attached to these guys as you're reading the story. I think that's the thing when you kind of read these historical narratives, but they're from the perspective of a group of people, you know, to where it, it can be personalized a little bit. Yeah. I think they're always going to just read better. Yeah, they are. They're more fun narratives. Like, they're more engaging. You can relate more and empathize. All of those human emotions rather than just taking in fact after fact after fact. Right, yeah. And a lot of times we have to make that decision on this show. It's like, do we do we talk about the personal stuff or just talk about what actually happened in the battle? Like, what moved it? But since this isn't a singular battle, as I said in the intro, this is going to be the story of a division. It's a, it's a pretty cool story, so check out the book. Hell yeah. And guys, we are going on a little bit of a break. Um, we, will, we will see you in January, a little bit of a holiday break. Do it every year. But we will sprinkle some crumbs for the Patreon members. Don't worry. We'll have a couple little hangovers, you know? Yeah. Just a, a gift to those that give. Little bonus mini episodes for you guys who give us $3 a month. We thank you for that. Well, Mr. Christopher, are you ready to get into this fucking badass story? I absolutely cannot wait. I've got my Apollo Creed shorts on, ready to just go fucking punch some Nazis in the face. Oh, right in the eye of the tiger. You kidding me? <laughs> Let's go. Our story begins on November 8th, 1942. The war in Europe between the Axis and the Allies had been raging on for over three years. The Americans had been fighting the Japanese for a year in the Pacific, but they had yet to take on Hitler directly. But on this day, November 8th, a convoy of 100 ships carrying about 35,000 American troops was heading straight for North Africa. Among this invasion force was the 3rd Infantry Division. Back in 1918, this group had stood up to a German offensive and had kept the Germans out of Paris, earning themselves the nickname the Rock of the Marne. Pretty sure we talked about that in episode 100 of this podcast when we talked about U.S. involvement in World War I. 
Well, that name was somewhat ironic, since on November 8th, 1942, they were invading Morocco near the port of Casablanca, which was being held by Vichy French troops that were loyal to the Germans. And we don't, uh, I don't think we've mentioned that in our World War II stuff, like how there were French troops who said, okay, well, we lost France, let's just go ahead and switch over sides to the Germans and help them win the war. Not just troops. Yeah, Some of the French leadership. The whole government, yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we've talked about it in the in the past, but yeah, during this actual World War II year that we've been touching yeah. on, I think you're right. I don't think we really have discussed that at all. Yeah, I think we talked about it way, 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 way back, like in the first 10 episodes when we talked about the Battle of Castle Itta, which was actually the last battle of World War II. Ooh, and only available... To Patreon members. Yeah. <clears throat> Give us money. <laughs> well, one of the 3rd Division Marne men, as they were known, was 24-year-old Lieutenant Maurice Britt. Britt had grown up poor after his father died when he was 13. He spent his teenage years working as much as he could to help his family get by. But he was also a star athlete that was nicknamed Footsie because of his large foot size, Greg. When I read that, it made me realize the internet has ruined me as a person. Because that mm. was that's so wholesome. Like in the 40s, they're like, oh, hey, it's footsie. Look at him. Look at his, his large shoes. <laughs> but all you can think about is his wiener. Oh, I'm thinking about foot fetishes. Like he's oh. on the OnlyFans, like painting his, his giant hairy male feet, painting yeah. the toes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not thinking about his wiener either. <laughs> not thinking about how he puts on nylon legs stockings and like sits at the the table at dinner and runs them up your leg. Le eggs. Le eggs, yes. It does have an apostrophe. that come in the big plastic egg. <laughs> okay. They Get still, it right. They still paying us? They're, they probably stopped paying us, didn't they? No, but I'm just, you know, I'm hoping they come back. <laughs> so I'm staying, I'm still simping for them. Gotcha. They're gotcha. a good sponsor, you know? Yeah. You don't want to burn any bridges. That's true. That's true. The only thing you want to burn is if they sponsor another podcast, we kill them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. (laughs) If if the eggs is not going to be with me, they're not going to be with anyone. (laughs) Uh, You did say uh, you you can't burn those bridges. That's why I've been so nice to Elon Musk on Twitter. Like, he's making all these terrible decisions, but I keep, like, kissing his ass because someday he's going to give me, like, a million dollars just for... Posting Elon memes and stuff. You're my last fan. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) Britt graduated as valedictorian in his high school class and earned a football scholarship to the University of Arkansas. Following college, he would be drafted by the hapless Detroit Lions. But in 1941, as the war was breaking out, he caught a touchdown pass to defeat the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's going to go on to do some amazing things in the war. He's going to be kind of a just all-around badass, but I think his great greatest accomplishment was this catch, which was literally his only catch in the NFL, but it defeated the shitbird Philadelphia Eagles. True American hero. Now, when Maurice was at Arkansas, he had joined the ROTC. And when the U.S. went to war, he was called into service. Which I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know. I kind of thought it was just kind of like cosplay. I don't know much about the ROTC, to be honest with you. 
But I kind of thought it was just like, hey, we're we're at Texas A&M, let's dress up in military uniforms and be yell leaders and stuff. Oh, no. (laughs) I didn't know it was a... That level of ROTC is very real. I did not know that. Okay. Maurice was initially picked for the tank unit, but an officer took one look at his six foot four, 200 pound frame and told him he was too goddamn big for a tank and transferred him to the 3rd Infantry Division. And that is how he found himself steaming into Morocco in late 1942. Fortunately for the Americans landing in North Africa in what was known as Operation Torch, the troops of Vichy France weren't very interested in the whole war thing, and they soon surrendered without putting up much of a fight. Brit and the Marne men were assigned to guard the Anfa Hotel in Casablanca, where in early 1943, Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt met to discuss strategy. Ah, the uh, Antifa Hotel. Interesting. (laughs) I can't believe that actually existed for more than like two days. Yeah. You know, I figured like you order some room service, little, I don't know, avocado toast, (laughs) and it doesn't come on time, and the whole thing just burns down. They're all posting on Reddit you know, on anti-work. Because Antifa be burning things down. <laughs> Walgreens got to go. Antifa Hotel, sorry. <laughs> You're not going to placate us by calling us Antifa, you know? Especially after these fucking warmongers Churchill and Roosevelt show up. What are they doing there? Hmm. Fucking big government motherfuckers. Don't they know we're we're against that? Pieces of shit. You're not going to send our sons to die. <laughs> what are you talking about? You're 16 years old. You don't have a son. <laughs> if you did, it would be like one. We're not drafting one-year-olds. Fuck you. <laughs> Burning it down. Burning down the Walgreens across the street, too. Be honest, I'm doing this to impress a girl. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> she's She's got real short hair. She looks a lot like Rachel Maddow, you know? She's... <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I haven't been able to, like, bridge the gap between me and her yet, but I think this politics thing, I think that's the way to go, you know? If, like, if you look, we can align on certain things. Look, man, I'm in it for the pussy. <laughs> the Allies, predominantly led by British forces, soon drove the Germans completely out of North Africa and back into Europe. In March of 1943, the 3rd Division was placed under the command of Major General Lucien Truscott, who always made sure to carry his copy of War and Peace and a bottle of booze with him in his kit bag. Eventually, he's going to finish that book. He's not like LeBron, who always shows up in photos. He's always like six pages into the book to make people think he's reading. Mm-hmm. He's going to finish it, but he keeps getting hammered, I guess, off the bottle of booze, too. I'm kind of like this with my kit bag. Yeah? But... The only difference, like, I still have the whiskey, of course. Mm. You guys know me. Right. But the book in this case is Twilight Breaking Dawn. <laughs> I've actually had to replace it. I went through the first copy so much, the binding is, was just toast, you know, <laughs> buttered toast. And so I had I had to get a brand new copy. Just picture this. It's on Kindle. This fucking, <laughs> fucking two-star general sitting there. Artillery's blasting all around him, bullets whizzing by, and he's just looking at his book. And he's going, Oh, Bella, what are you doing? Edward is so much better for you. 
I mean, he's he's dead. And the other option is you fucking a dog. But <laughs> I feel like you could make the better of the two really, really awful options. <laughs> well, True Scott... Well, True Scott soon began training his men and forced them to march at a rate of four miles per hour. When a colonel showed him the U.S. Army manual that stated that troops marched at 2.5 miles per hour, True Scott told the colonel to throw the damn manual in the wastebasket. He wanted his men in fighting shape because he knew that an invasion of Sicily was coming and he'd have very little in the way of tank support. The 3rd Division landed on the southern coast of Sicily on July 10th, 1943. Among them was a 19-year-old private named Audie Murphy. Physically speaking, Murphy was the polar opposite of the massive Maurice Britt because he stood at 5'7 and weighed only 138 pounds. He's what we like to call in the business a twink. In the podcasting business? Yes. <laughs> Audie had been born in rural Hunt County, Texas, and grown up absolutely dirt poor. He didn't live in a house with electricity until he was a teenager, and by then, his drunken, abusive dad had left home. He had, even had a quote about this. He said, um, and I'm paraphrasing, I hope I get this right, it was something along the lines of, every time my dad got tired of beating his kids, he would just leave and make more kids. Like, Jesus. That's Genius a- move. <laughs> yeah. Murphy was a poor student with a quick temper and was constantly involved in fights. He was also a crack shot with a rifle and an excellent hunter, which was good because that was how his family ate dinner for the most part. He dropped out of school at 14, and when he was 16, his mother died, and his younger siblings were sent to orphanages. Audie was only 17 when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. He attempted to join the Marines, but they rejected him for being too small and thin, since he had basically been starving and it dropped down to 112 pounds. I once had a woman reject me after uh, after a couple dates because she said I was too small and thin, which it's always struck me as weird because I'm a 205-pound man, <laughs> and she slept with me. So. <laughs> Not really sure what that's about. Nice. Yeah, maybe short, but at least it's skinny. That's right. <laughs> So, Murphy went to the army. He lied and said he was 18, and he was accepted into the 3rd Division. He passed out on his first training drill, and the other soldiers began calling him Baby. Again, because the twink thing. Podcasting trope. Yep. Right there. Everybody knows it. Yeah. There's, every podcast has a twink and a bear. It's an mm-hmm. unwritten rule of podcasting. Dan Carlin? Both of them. <laughs> I feel like regular Dan Carlin's the twink, but when he says, quote, and gets into it, that's the bear coming out. (laughs) By the time Murphy made it to Sicily, he was assigned to serve under Captain Keith Ware and B Company and earned a reputation as a tough and respectable soldier. But much to his chagrin, Murphy was assigned to be Captain Ware's runner, delivering messages between platoons. Ware thought Murphy was too young and small to be in combat, but Ware hardly looked like a soldier himself. He was thin and wore glasses and spoke softly. He'd also grown up poor and was working as a manager in a department store when the war broke out. 
He was drafted, and because of his intelligence and managerial experience, he was sent through officer training school and promoted to captain. Now, initially, the invasion of Sicily was a cakewalk. The island was occupied by both Italian and German troops, and the Italians seemed to have very little interest in fighting, as you will learn from our Mussolini episode. Man, we have talked about so much shit. Like, is there any history left? Well, not just Mussolini. Anytime we've talked about the Italians in World War II, it's just like, man, you guys suck. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is wrong with you? I don't really want to do this, man. I don't want to go have some pasta, take a nap, play some Mario Brothers, you know? Italian stuff. Anti-pasta? You guys seemed very anti-war. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Language joke. But antipasta's pretty good, guys. You can give me some more of those olives. That's pretty sweet shit. Yeah. But anti-war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. On the second day of the invasion, however, things got a little hairy for Captain Ware and B Company. As they pushed towards the village of Campo Bello, they came over heavy... Uh, so let, me, let, me, let me back that up. Campo Bello. Is that better? Sure. Okay, thank you. No, it's better. I <laughs> wouldn't say it's good, but... Good <laughs> okay, day. thank you. Well, as they pushed towards that village, they came under heavy fire from a German machine gun position. Six of Ware's men were wounded, but he ordered suppressive fire while his men were carried to safety. He then led the men across open ground and took out the machine gun position. For this action, he would be awarded the Silver Star. Once the 3rd Division had established a beachhead, General George S. Patton met with Major General Truscott, had a few drinks of whiskey, and told Truscott that he wanted the 3rd Division in Palermo over 100 miles away in just five days. Truscott said he'd get it done. The Marne men went on a grueling march and had to forage grapes and fruit from the countryside, but they made it. Sort of. Patton ordered them to stop short so he could be photographed entering the city first. I'm a dick move. Like, why do you need me to even march here if you're just going to fucking drive in, take all the photographs? Patton does a lot of things that rub me wrong uh, compared to, I guess, your normal American that is at least somewhat educated in, in this topic. Yeah. Is they always seem to, to a T, like him more than I do. And I've realized, like, just thinking about it, reading that that one sentence in the outline, I'm like, you know, I guess that's why we need to stop idolizing people, because no matter how great somebody is, they're always going to be shitty in some area. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. nobody is, is above just being crappy. And so, I don't know. That's just something yeah. I thought, thought about when I read that line. I was like, this is so petty and narcissistic. But he was a petty and narcissistic person. Yes. And a very good general. Yeah, he can be both, right? He yes. Can be a yeah. Good general, have great tactics, be very you aggressive. Don't have to be only good or only bad. And it's, yeah. Everybody's typically a combination of, of the two. Except for the Marquis de Lafayette, who is the perfect human ever born. Well, yeah, I agree on that. <laughs> the division was given a week's rest, but was soon ordered to capture the port city of Messina and put back into action. The fighting took place in the mountains of Sicily where the temperatures reached 110 degrees and the humidity was like a billion percent. A.K.A. fucking Texas. Parts of Texas. 
Large state, Chris. Yeah, whatever. There's only certain parts that count. That's the red parts, am I right? No. Oh, shit. No, you're not. Wait, actually, gerrymandering. Yes. <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> Despite orders from Captain Ware to stay off the front line, Audie Murphy continually snuck into the action and was proving to be an excellent killer of Germans. Murphy was promoted to corporal, and Ware told him he was going to put him on the front lines until Murphy was, quote, sick of it, end quote. Immediately after that was said, Murphy began puking, because he was severely dehydrated. Look! <laughs> I'm already <Yeah>. sick of <laughs> Yeah, I'm sick. Look at me. Until I'm sick of I'm already sick of it. I'm sick of it right after you told me that. <laughs> so we good? Can I work in chow hall, please? That's how we would be, but not Audie Murphy. He was probably like fucking hammered drunk, got the DTs, oh, just puking his guts out. I would have been shot by now in the back of the head <laughs> because I was fleeing from the officer. There's no way I would have been front of the head. I would not be captured <laughs> and lined up for court martial execution. No. The third pushed on to Messina where the Germans were in full-on retreat mode. They were able to pull their own miniature Dunkirk and evacuated 40,000 troops, 10,000 vehicles, and thousands of tons of ammo and fuel from Sicily back to mainland Italy. Having fought consistently for the better part of a month, the 3rd Division was given a brief respite to enjoy the Sicilian coast. But on September 18th, they were back on boats heading for the southern Italian coastline to relieve the Americans who had landed there eight days earlier. I know a guy that um, he met this dude in a bar, whatever. His name was Kirk. Mm -hmm. And uh, picked him up or whatever, railed him out at the hotel. Mm -hmm. Right? Hotel? Mm -hmm. Hotel. Railed him out. Mm -hmm. And then um, I saw that guy. <laughs> He's hilarious. He's crying at a coffee shop the next day. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was consensual. <laughs> I go up to him and comfort him. You're like, where are you going with this, Craig? I, yeah, I shouldn't have laughed when you said I don't think it's consensual. <laughs> that was a nervous laugh. That's what that and, was. Uh, you know, I invited him back up to the hotel room. To, hey, you want to talk about it? I'm a professional counselor. I'm not. Mm -hmm. And uh, I bought him too. And that was my miniature version of Dunkirk. God damn it. <laughs> not the episode. <laughs> That was funny. It should be in the episode. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Bit of a stretch of a joke there. We took a long time to get there, but it was good. <laughs> hmm. Not worth it. I did not, not worth see it at all. Didn't see it coming, just like Kirk. <laughs> God, dude. <laughs> <The> poor guy. <laughs> well, the Marn men soon landed near Salerno and were thrown into action. On September 22nd, Lieutenant Maurice Britt found himself leading L Company toward the town of Acerno. As they approached a cornfield, they came under heavy fire from German machine guns and artillery. Britt was hit above his knee by shrapnel but ignored the pain and kept fighting. Pinned down by machine gun fire, the 6'4 Maurice Britt crawled on his stomach through the cornfield carrying a grenade launcher. When he was about 60 yards out, he fired the grenade into a machine gun nest and took out the crew. His company was able to move up and capture a Cerno. And for that, Britt was awarded the Silver Star and the Purple Heart. 
And as an aside, the World War II grenade launcher is so fucking cool to me because it's just a grenade on the end of a fucking rifle. And you, like you stick it on there and the bullet hits it and like launches the fucking thing. And it's such, it's just so cool. It's always fascinated me for some reason. I don't know. I mean, they're pretty similar to like our M203s that we have on the bottom of our M16s. But yeah, it's the only capability of that gun is to shoot a single grenade. Yeah, at a time. And then it's, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. kind of a long reload process and everything. But yeah, they're interesting. Yeah, it just looks cool. It takes off like a fucking football on a punt. You're like, where is that going to land? Oh, I fucking killed a bunch of Germans. Yeah, we did it. Mm-hmm. I like murder. Murder entertains me. Oh, okay. <laughs> the truth comes out. Well, over the following month and a half, the American advance slowed to a crawl as southern Italy was pounded with storms and cold temperatures. Casualties began to mount, and by November 10th, Maurice Britt's L Company was down to 60 men, which was about a quarter of its full strength. They found themselves on the eastern slopes of Mount Rotondo, greatly outnumbered, and each night the Germans snuck past their thin lines and ambushed the 3rd Division. Wolf Dick, give me some metal music. On the morning of November 10th, Britt was on patrol when the Germans launched one of these counterattacks. An MG-42 keyed on him Britt, and he was grazed on the shoulder and hit in the abdomen. Undaunted, he kept firing back until he ran out of ammo. Then he picked up the M1 rifle of a wounded soldier and again fired until he ran out of ammunition. The Germans hurled potato masher grenades at Brit. Most of them he picked up and tossed back, but one detonated and peppered his back with shrapnel. Just then, a corporal arrived carrying two burlap sacks full of grenades. Brit took the bags, ordered his men to take out the machine gunner, and began chucking grenades like a madman. When he ran out of grenades, he picked up every gun he could find and fired until it was out of bullets, and then he'd find another and do the same. Britt ran back and forth from German positions with grenades exploding all around him, with his entire uniform drenched in blood. When he ran out of grenades and bullets, he started throwing rocks at the Germans. At some point, Britt realized the Germans were no longer trying to kill him. They had fled the position. In total, Britt killed 35 enemy soldiers and captured four others. The four captured men said there had been over a hundred Germans in the fight, greatly outnumbering Britt and L Company. What a fucking badass, just fucking bleeding everywhere, shooting everything he can, throwing grenades, fucking picking up guns. Just amazing. Also, burlap sacks was a very old-timey way to carry grenades. Like, let's come up with a better system, guys. You gotta do what you gotta do. And he did it. That's true. Extremely metal. An extremely moment. Hmm. Hmm. Think about that. (laughs) I know it doesn't make sense. Please continue. (laughs) Will do. On November 16th, the 3rd Division was pulled off the front line after 60 days of continuous combat longer than any other division in history to that point. They had suffered 2,500 casualties, including 700 killed. Over the following month, Audie Murphy would be promoted to sergeant, Maurice Britt to captain, and Keith Ware to major. They celebrated Thanksgiving with meals cooked by grateful Italian citizens, including roast beef and baked manatee 
and they immediately went to work training the soldiers. This is a country for white minities. <laughs> Put that in there just for you, Wolf Dick, you piece of shit. Wow. Yeah. Manatees, huh? <laughs> yep. White minities. Little sexist. Yeah. Little racist, little sexist. <laughs> Not POC womanities? Hmm? No, we have swung to the far right. We've made this obvious throughout this episode and the last one, so we're just embracing our new listeners. God damn it. we got to play the heel now. <laughs> That's right. There's more money in it. It's going to work out great for us. <laughs> if we get canceled, like, there'll be people that, like, go fund me <laughs> right? for my entire life, you know? Yeah. Like, I can take a gun to a protest and kill, like, three people, and, like, all of a sudden, I'm a superstar, you know? I mean, oh, like, God. <laughs> oh. All right, I'm uncomfortable. Continue. What if they were protesting this podcast? And I lit into them with a AR-15. Would I still be a hero? I'd probably still be a hero to, like, 37% of the country, I think. No comment. Whatever. Greg's gone woke. Whatever that means. <laughs> They then immediately went to work training the soldiers who'd come from the U.S. to replace their wounded and killed comrades. In mid-January, the 3rd Division made an amphibious landing at Anzio, which sits on the Italian coast just south of Rome. Once there, Maurice Britt led his men on an attack on a crossroads. When they came under fire from a hidden machine gun position, Britt stood up and started doing jumping jacks to draw the fire of the machine gun so that it could be spotted and taken out by artillery. Like a both. Like, how fucking invincible do you think you are at that point? You can't hit me, motherfuckers. Look at this shit. I'm fucking out here doing calisthenics. Like Jack fucking Lane. I got my red jumpsuit on. Fucking out here. Yeah, doing it all. I mean, his company had been through 60 days of continuous, continuous battle. Yeah. And he's still good. And I have a feeling... He's never going to get hurt. <laughs> Even God can't touch me. I mm -hmm. am God. I am the God. Well, on January 22nd, Maurice Britt's luck ran out. Oh, shit. Oh. When a German tank shell was fired at a farmhouse he had taken cover in. Britt's right arm was blown off, and he was transported to a hospital and back to the U.S. That's the... That's the good arm. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, uh, the he's sexy what he writes, arm. writes with, right? He's right-handed, writes with his right hand. Yeah, he writes uh, sexy missives to himself. <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah, he writes stuff with his cum when he jerks off. I get it, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, well. I think the worst part of this is he would never catch another touchdown against the Philadelphia Eagles again. You know, he could. He probably could. They suck. He can catch one arm, just fucking run down the field. I think Jim, Jim Abbott uh, pitched a no-hitter for the Angels with one fucking arm. So That's true. He did. That is a sports fact brought to you by main host Gregory. Hmm. What do you know? For his actions. They didn't even have flashlights back then. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, I feel for this guy. You just had a microwave, a cantaloupe. Had to be a little overripe, you know? It's too hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You have a more 
gelatinous consistency to it. (laughs) (laughs) Finishes like, oh, gross, there's seeds on me now. I sound like a serial killer on a podcast. (laughs) It's going to be more gelatinous. (laughs) (laughs) And yet your neighbors will still be like, he seemed like such a nice guy. I don't understand. He didn't even know he had a podcast. <laughs> Never mentioned it. Or a shed full of 30 bodies. <laughs> Just once a week, we saw what we thought was a mannequin being dragged into the crawl space under his house with some recording equipment, and we just never connected the dots. We thought it was the same mannequin. <laughs> I ch- we thought maybe he was putting makeup on it, because sometimes it'd be a white mannequin, sometimes it'd be a Mexican mannequin. <laughs> Black mannequin, Congolese, met, uh, you know, we just, we thought he was doing his history thing and doing a little YouTube channel and just the mannequin was going to be a a host country national. We but didn't one, know. One thing we did notice, they were always mannequins, if you know what I mean. You know, they, was, they all had one thing in common. <laughs> Well, for his actions, I'm it's assuming- like he he would he would carry him out there, and they you know they'd be heavy because he is a slight man, he, uh, <laughs> skinny as as this episode has told you, a very sexy Audie Murphy type. Yeah, he would have one hand you know under the neck, one hand under the crook of the knee, and to help him carry that weight, he would have the the penis. Mm-hmm. In the mouth <laughs> with active suction. That's how we knew it was a mannequin. Because the head would be doing part of the lifting. Otherwise, he would drop him. He, he's just not strong enough. He's a slight man. Yes. It, it, I've actually felt bad the time I saw him doing it and I interrupted him to talk about the new HOA policies. And he was just like, his mouthful. And it, it felt like rude on both of us because he kept talking. With his mouth full about how we can't have these temporary basketball hoops in our driveway. You know, it was just a big issue. What, what was that? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Greg, where are you going with that mannequin? Oh, you know, just uh, stored it away. Damn HOA got onto me again, you know. Anyway, for his actions on November 10th, Maurice Britt was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor to go along with his Distinguished Service Cross, Silver Star, Bronze Star, and Purple Heart with three Oak Leave Clusters, which means he'd been injured three times in battle. Disagree. Uh, what it means is somebody that was actually <laughs> serving at one point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, the original ribbon actually Ooh. means an initial injury. Oh, so it's four. Times. And then, yeah, so he was wounded, but it was in four separate battles. Yeah. You, like, if you're wounded twice in one battle, you can't get, like, two for that. So that means, which is just mind-blowing, this dude had four separate Purple Hearts for four separate incidences. You know... That's wild. That is wild. By today's standards. It definitely is, because after like one or two, you feel like he'd been pulled out of combat or something, but 
I feel like they need to differentiate and come up with a, a like a stronger Purple Heart, maybe. Because like if you get like all of your skin burned off and have to have a thousand like the Super Saiyan, yeah, purple heart. yeah, like if you like a Purple Heart with like a rainbow over the top, like you get all of your skin burned off, a thousand skin grafts. That is one Purple Heart, and the dude catches a piece of shrapnel on his elbow, and he has to have like a few stitches. That's the same award. I feel like we should we should fix that. That should be our podcast goal next year. Oh, uh, well, I disagree. So it's uh, not our podcast goal. God damn it. <laughs> Maybe like twisting your ankle on a battlefield. Eh, not a purple heart. Yeah, I don't know. So it, it, it feels like there are different levels of being wounded. That's all I'm saying. And we treat them the same. Oh, I know. I mean, you've met my uncle. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm wounded, but... It's all emotionally. Yeah. And intestinally. Anyway, to that point in the war, Maurice Ritt was the most decorated soldier in the history of the U.S. Army. But the war was not over, especially for the 3rd Infantry Division. And that is where Greg will pick up after this break. Or maybe you won't. You guys don't know. Edge of your seat. During this fucking break, see if we come back. Yeah. You might see time remaining on this podcast and be like, well, I know he will after this break. What if we just put silence there? Oh. You know? Because I died in the Marne or something. You don't fucking know. And I wish you would just admit that, listener. (laughs) You think you know everything. You have no control, listener. (laughs) But yeah, I'll see you uh, right after this break. Okay. Probably. All right, welcome back from break. Hope you had a good one. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you thought a little bit about your life and the lives of the men we're talking about, how they're heroes. And how you're just sitting there listening to a podcast like some fucking idiot. Yeah, what have you done? Yeah. Don't turn this around on me. No, 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 no. The question is about you. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Obviously, I'm a hero because I'm telling you about them. So, spreading the legend. That's kind of a storyteller, you know? The modern day bard. Yeah. I'm basically Homer, and this is my Iliad. Okay. And you were just fucking lucky to hear it. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm so angry right now. I'm going through a lot, but uh, we won't get into that. What we will get into, Gregory. You can't just do that. You can't say <laughs> oh, I can tease those them. things. I can tease them. They don't need to know. They don't need to know that the surgery was botched. And now I have half a can to fix a flat in my ass. You know, just puffing up my ass cheeks. I'm very worried about infections. It is red and swollen. <laughs> yeah. I can barely sit to do the show, but I'm suffering for you assholes, so. Your asshole is suffering for these assholes. God, I am a hero. And you know what heroes deserve? Second half seltzers. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. And three, two, one.
Mm, <sighs> a seltzer. I'm not sick of those at all. <laughs> I actually didn't have any, and so I'm drinking a Christmas-themed beer called You'll Shoot Your Eye Out. You know, like the movie. The Christmas movie. And Yule is spelled Y-U-L-E. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's very clever. Wordplay. <laughs> very clever. Very high energy. That's us. Woo! Anyway, we have a lot to talk about. A long way to go. Are you ready to tell us the rest of this story of awesomeness? Do I get to go on winter break afterwards? You absolutely do. Oh, in January of 1943, <laughs> the Marne men of the 3rd Division had landed in Anzio, and that is where the attack stalled, thanks to a major general named John Lucas, who had hesitated to attack and allowed the Germans to regroup. Over the following five months, the division went through hell in their attempts, whoa, <coughs> get out, come out of there. <laughs> Sorry, there's a demon in my throat. <laughs> Over the following five months, the division went through hell in their attempts to break out of Anzio and push into Italy. Sergeant Audie Murphy had missed the landing due to illness, but soon found himself leading several attacks against German positions. And, you know, he busted in this house, and he sees this dude in a full gimp suit laying under a glass coffee table, and this girl in heels is taking a big old dump on it, and he's like, what the fuck is happening here? Is it a German position? It's a German position. Okay. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like last week we gave shit to the Brits for their position, so let's just go ahead yeah. and move it on to the Germans. Ah, oh, good old man on top. Yeah, socks on. Upside down cowgirl. Yep, that's what we call it. <laughs> I mean, you gotta love cowgirl when the girl's on bottom, you know? <laughs> mm. You're just riding, just rocking back and forth. Yeah, that's one of my faves, dude. Girl on bottom? You kidding me? <laughs> Anything to not call it missionary. <laughs> oh, I thought she was... Never mind. I thought she was, you know, and you were. Peggy? Yes! Yeah, that's that's what oh. I was implying, yeah. I got you. Oh, boy. Well, one night, Audie Murphy was leading a patrol when he spotted a broken-down German tank. Fearing that the Germans would repair it, he left his men in a ditch and crawled through the mud under the cover of darkness. When he was within 20 yards, he fired on it with a rifle grenade and wounded six German soldiers who were, in fact, trying to repair the tank. Just a bunch of dudes hanging out, having a good time, a few beers, listening to the radio, you know, working on the car and shit. And this guy just fucks it all up. I mean, that's, that's uh, a little cold-hearted. Audie Murphy. Life comes at you fast. <laughs> Real fast. Just listening to a little Sophie Minter. Oh, yeah. Just, mm. Remember that? That's from an episode back in the day. Yeah, Wolf Dick can play it. Mm. So serene. Fits this podcast beautifully, I feel. Oh, man. Well, the Germans opened fire on Murphy, who sprinted 200 yards back to his men and was miraculously uninjured. For this action, he was awarded the Bronze Star. Over the following few months, over a thousand men from the 3rd Division were killed as they pushed the Germans away from Anzio. Replacements were brought in, but the old Marne men didn't trust them. On one occasion, Audie Murphy ordered his men to bury dead cows to get rid of the sickening stench of their corpses. 
A replacement soldier refused, prompting Murphy to punch him in the stomach and smash his face against a door. The veterans of his platoon simply viewed this as strong leadership. That's how Greg leads this podcast. <laughs> I just keep falling down those stairs. Iron fist covered in a silk glove. Oh, what's this? Forgot my glove. <laughs> Pussy's on the pavement, Chris. Push the ground. <laughs> That'll be 50. I know he's, he's just trying to make me better. That's all he's doing. He just loves me and he wants me to succeed. <laughs> I want the best version of you. For me. A massive offensive was launched near the town of Cisterna on May 23rd that finally allowed the 3rd Division to break out of the Anzio Corridor. The German army was retreating, and General Lucien Truscott was balls-achingly horny to wipe them out, but his superior, General Mark Clark, wanted the glory of capturing Rome. This decision allowed the Germans to escape to the north and led the press to dub old General Clark as Marcus Clarkus. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Clever. It's like a, a Roman general. <laughs> yeah. The Rome thing. Glory. <laughs> and he's got two first names. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, the day after the capture of Rome, the Allies invaded Normandy, putting even more pressure on the Germans. As a result, the Germans pulled most of their forces back to France. The 3rd Division spent the month of July undergoing intense training in the sweltering heat. Then, on August 15th, they made their fifth amphibious landing when they invaded the southern coast of France. The landing went smoothly, and there was little resistance until the division reached the village of Ramatoul. Love that movie, with the little rat that teaches the guy how to cook. Oh, so good. Ratatouille <laughs> and Ramatoul. It's not the same thing. That is a stretch, my boy. <laughs> and you will be summarily beaten after this episode. Oh, no. Not again. Iron Fist! He's going to smash my head into a door again. Again. <laughs> All these replacement doors are really cutting into the Patreon money. <laughs> I know. It's, it happens every time I'm supposed to get my cut of the money, too. It's weird how that works out. You know, some people would take that as encouragement to be better. <laughs> Not me. I'm too stupid. You know? Why is it, why is it supposed to hit my pocketbook? <laughs> I'm not the one acting up. I'm sorry, Daddy. Well, it was there that Audie Murphy and his friend, Laddie Tipton, found themselves under fire once more. Tipton was hit in the ear and blood began to pour down his neck. Murphy ordered him to fall back, but Tipton refused. Murphy told him it was an order and pressed on, but when he looked back, Tipton was still following him. Bullets whizzed over them as they crawled through a vineyard. Up ahead, they spotted two Germans waving a white flag. Tipton stood up to capture the Germans and was immediately shot dead. Murphy went into an absolute rage. He killed the two surrendering Germans with a grenade and shot several others. For this action, he was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross, but was absolutely devastated by the death of his best friend. He soon gave up on religion and stopped attending Sunday services. When the chaplain asked him why he didn't pray, he told the chaplain, You do the praying, I'll do the shooting. Pretty badass. That's pretty badass. You know, reading this, I wonder how this guy could survive all he's going to survive and all he's survived so far. And then I remember he is like five foot five, 112 pounds. So he's basically like a stick figure running through the Italian and French countryside. Like the bullets are just passing 
through his stick figure frame as he's screaming his head off and shooting back. And it's just, uh, I wonder, because I'm a average, I'm an above average height guy. I'm a six foot guy. I would die immediately in war. I'd be the idiot who stood up to see what was going on and just get cocked right in the head. Cocked right in the head. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you would. I, don't, I have no <laughs> doubts. <laughs> Man, if I and ever then you join... wake up for morning muster. <laughs> I'll say if I ever join the army, I get cocked in the head so many times. <laughs> All those fit dudes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Letters to the wife back home would be real short because Timmy's waiting. We're all gay for the stay. You know <laughs> they call me Foxhole Chris, but I've never dug a foxhole or been in one. <laughs> But they've been in plenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm just a cook in the chow hall. <laughs> Anything to help the war effort. That's what I'm here for, boys. That's what this country is missing now. Damn it. They're buying war bonds back home. Mm -hmm. You've got a ball gag. You're getting war bondage on the front <laughs> lines. <laughs> Be here all week. The advance moved to the edge of the Vosges Mountains, which sit on the border of France and Germany. The Germans had taken up strong positions in and around ancient forts. On September 12th, Lieutenant John Tomanak of I Company spotted a German roadblock. Tomanak sprinted ahead of his platoon and killed three Germans with his Thompson machine gun. The platoon then moved to another strong point and killed 30 more. They were then joined by a Sherman tank. As the men moved alongside it toward a third position, the tank was hit by a shell. Tomanak went down with shrapnel on his shoulder. The tank burst into flames and began to roll down a hill. The badly wounded Tomanak picked himself back up, climbed onto the burning tank, and stood on the turret. As flames jumped all around him, Tomanak manned the 50 caliber machine gun and began to fire at the Germans who saw this moment of absolute badassery and fled from the fight. Tomanak wasn't done. He ordered a sergeant to pry the shrapnel out of his shoulder with a knife and then moved to another position where he captured 30 German soldiers. For this action, Tomanak was awarded the Medal of Honor. Woo, man. That's a badass moment, and that's also a, a badass voice, Greg. It reminds me of, like, promos you hear on the radio, like, Tonight at Incest. What? What is <laughs> yeah. that? Well, maybe not incest. That would be a bad choice of words. Tonight at Impulse, ladies drink free, and the club doesn't shut down till 2 a.m. You know those radio promos? Mm-hmm. That that was. I think you have a future. Chris, business. come on down to the main stage. Oh my God! It's it's like I'm there in a thong, <laughs> pasties. Yeah, star pasties because it's a patriotic theme episode. That's true. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, that's well. Just like you were on January sixth. <laughs> When I loudly denounce the violence on our capital, Greg. I was in there to stop those people. <laughs> it would actually kind of be funny if there's just one guy and they're like, no, 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 guys. Guys, stop it. No, don't take that podium. What are you doing, Nancy? What are you doing in your office? definitely been the defense of some people. <laughs> is they're trying to talk them out of it. 
But then the evidence submitted like shows them fucking laughing and yeah. doing the same shit that everybody else is doing. Like rubbing their ass on a bust of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Where's Nancy? <laughs> Karen a noose that has Mike Pence's name written on it. Hey, hey, you guys stop. <laughs> I took this from somebody. I talked about it doing it. This is my evidence. <laughs> What'd he look like? I don't know, some black guy. <laughs> uh, of course he was. Of course Two black was. guys came out of nowhere and stole Nancy's podium, and then I was taking it back from him. <laughs> <laughs> we caught none of that on camera. What? They're, they were in the shadows. <laughs> Sir, I think you're just racist. <sighs> no. I well, if it grew up, I had a black friend when I was five. <laughs> If it wasn't two of them, I would have fought them off, but there were two of them, and that's kind of scary. You know, they, they travel in packs. Sir, you're thinking of sand people. Oh, shit. From Star Wars, let's be yes. clear. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to confuse you and your racism. Tusken Raiders from Star Wars. There, there you go. Well, shortly thereafter, old Audie Murphy was hit in the foot by a German mortar, and, uh, you know, his time in the war was done. Just kidding. He spent two weeks in the hospital earning a Purple Heart. He was soon back in action. On October 2nd, he saw Major Keith Ware and a lieutenant colonel heading off on a patrol and decided to follow him. Ware soon came under fire from a machine gun. Suddenly, grenades rocked the German machine gun position and the firing stopped. When Ware made it to where they were firing from, he found Audie Murphy standing over four dead Germans. Murphy was then given the Silver Star to go with his bronze one. Three days later, he earned another when he took more fire while calling in an artillery strike on another German position and was promoted to lieutenant. Two weeks after that, as the 3rd Division was attempting to clear out a heavily fortified quarry, a sniper dropped the radio man standing right next to Murphy. The next shot ricocheted off a tree and hit Murphy square in his ass. Something bit me. You know, because it's like a 30-year-old movie now. And, and Forrest Gump. Everybody's seen it, right? Yeah. Audie Murphy fell to the ground, raised his carbine, and shot the sniper in his face. Audie was pulled off the front line forever. Just kidding. <laughs> his wound became gangrenous, and five pounds of flesh was cut away from his buttocks and hip muscles. He would limp for the rest of his life, but would only be out of the war until January of 1945. This dude didn't have a lot of pounds to give in the first place. And he they got not. five pounds of rotting flesh off of him. Holy shit. Yeah. He got upset every time someone was sent with a peach emoji because he knew it would never happen for him again. Yeah. Poor guy. He had such a great ass, too, before this. Like, damn, Audie, you shit with that ass? <laughs> <laughs> He's just... Real skinny up top, but real thick on the bottom. Like, wore leggings everywhere. And you're like, damn, Audie. Like a centaur? Yeah. Like Mewtwo from Pokemon. Mm. What's that? Well, you know, some of our listeners might know what a centaur is. Mewtwo is built like a centaur. Just big old thick ass thighs. Gotcha. Big ass. Yeah. That winter, the Marn men found themselves once again in the frozen Vosges Mountains. The Germans had dug in and were fighting for every inch of land. Keith Ware had been promoted to lieutenant colonel and was in charge of organizing the 3rd Division's attack in and around the village of Siegelsheim. On the morning of December 26th, B Company of the 3rd Division was attacking a hill 
when they became surrounded and cut off by members of the Waffen-SS. And in case you don't know, not a regular listener of this podcast, the uh, Waffen-SS were, they were not quite German military, but they were almost like a paramilitary organization. They were extremely fanatical. They were super Nazis, whereas the Wehrmacht, their normal standing army, was just kind of people that may or may not have been patriotic. These guys extremely believed in the cause, uh, very much wanted to eradicate all the Undermensch, the subhumans. Like, they were true January 6th believers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, like, times a hundred. Holy shit. Yeah. How many 9-11s is that? Like, six, probably? Ten? ten? A, bunch, a bunch of 9-11s. Jesus. Well, a private snuck through enemy lines and made it back to Lieutenant Colonel Ware's headquarters at about 8 p.m. to let him know that B Company was in danger of being completely destroyed. Ware gathered a force of 25 men, including all the clerks, cooks, and drivers, and set out to save B Company with a single Sherman tank leading the way. They arrived at B Company's position and came under immediate fire from German artillery. The men dove into their foxholes, but Ware walked from hole to hole, kicking them in the ass and telling them to get out and fight. Ware grabbed a Browning automatic rifle and led the men up the hill. As he moved up the hill, Ware fired the BAR into German machine gun nests, killing the gunners. The tank crew followed behind him and wiped out any nest they saw Ware firing into. When he ran out of ammo for the BAR, Ware grabbed a wounded man's rifle and kept firing. In less than 30 minutes, he and the Sherman tank that followed him wiped out four German machine gun positions and captured 20 German soldiers. In the process, Ware had been hit in the hand, but he refused to leave the battlefield. Instead, he called in artillery on other German positions. At about 3 p.m. on December 27th, the remaining 100 Waffen-SS troops fled in absolute terror. For his actions at Siegelsheim, Lieutenant Colonel Ware was awarded the Medal of Honor. Two dollar well drinks. Three dollar beers. Wet t-shirt night. Sundays at Impulse. Ladies get in free. <laughs> that sounded a little evil. <laughs> Ladies get in free. No, I like the evil version. They get out for a cost. <laughs> <laughs> Their souls may never leave. <laughs> but their bodies will in the trunk of my car. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh my God, this radio ad took a turn. <laughs> I wasn't really paying attention to then. Jesus Christ. <laughs> when Audie Murphy returned to the 3rd Division on January 14th, 1945, things looked dire for the Marne men. The winter weather had ground their advance to a halt, and the division had suffered so many casualties that companies had to be combined to form a somewhat effective fighting force, but it still wasn't enough. For instance, when A Company and C Company merged, they still only numbered 70 men when they would have totaled 400 at full capacity. On January 26th, the division was outside Holtzvere, a village in northeastern France. That morning, Audie Murphy was promoted to commander of B Company. At around 2 p.m., Murphy's company was in a wooded area outside the village when he spotted 200 German soldiers attempting to cross a field. Murphy snatched up a radio and called in artillery. The Germans responded and, in the process, 
hit an American tank destroyer. The destroyer burst into flames and the crew fled. Audie Murphy broke cover and sprinted for the tank destroyer. He climbed up to the mounted machine gun where he found a dead American officer. Murphy pulled the man off the gun, laid him in the snow, and climbed back up to the machine gun turret. He stood completely exposed and silhouetted against the background of dead trees and a burning destroyer and unloaded the machine gun on the Germans. His clothing was torn and riddled by shrapnel and bullets. He killed dozens. After 30 minutes, there was a lull in the German attack, so Murphy grabbed the radio and contacted headquarters. The Germans then spotted him and advanced on his position. In between bursts of machine gun fire, Murphy called artillery down on the German positions. At one point, the voice on the other end asked if Murphy was still alive and if the Germans were still advancing, to which Murphy said, Hold the phone and I'll let you talk to one of the bastards. We're supposed to be playing metal music during these Medal of Honor moments. Was that, uh, that seemed like techno. What was that shit? He didn't play metal music? He did not play metal music. Did you, did you play my fucking work playlist? I think he played my work playlist from the club. Wait, I knew it. You're the voice on that FM radio spot. I fucking knew it. You've been making money behind my back. You know I tried out for that, right? But they weren't going for a gay Kermit announcer. Thanks, Dick. Thanks a lot. Sorry, man. I, I should have told you. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm just happy you're getting work. It's hard these days, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know, man. Nobody wants to work, but uh, there's still a lot of jobs. I, d- I don't understand. I I read a lot on Twitter, and I get very confused by the, the arguments. Nah, the good old talking points you blindly believe. Yeah. I can empathize. I can empathize. That's how I ended up in Washington on January 6th, trying to talk everybody out of it. You know, I was just so very confused. Like, I knew I should be there, but I didn't know why. I figured I would just do some networking, talk them out of it, and one of them would give me a job. Yeah. Even though there's a million jobs, but also not any jobs. <laughs> I think the foreigners are taking all my jobs. I don't know. I don't fucking know anymore. Well, after an hour... Murphy finally ran out of ammunition and climbed out of the turret. He had suffered a wound to his leg, so he slowly limped back to his men and then led them on another attack to clean up any remaining German resistance. You guessed it. For his actions on January 26th, Audie Murphy was awarded the Medal of Honor (laughs) and another cluster for his Purple Heart. Following his nomination for the awards, Murphy was pulled off the front lines and permanently assigned to battalion headquarters. The winter faded, and the 3rd Division pushed into Germany from the south at the same time other American forces were coming in through Belgium and the Soviets were moving through Poland. Hitler's armies were crumbling. But of course, there was still plenty of fighting to do. Yeah, there's arguing back and forth, bickering, you know. My parents, when their marriage was crumbling, they still fought quite a bit. I saw him at Thanksgiving. It was it was awkward. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just bringing up my own things. You're like this isn't even a joke. I'm just <laughs> I just need to vent. I'm just sad. <laughs> I'm just a sad person. I wish my parents would get along. And that's what's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club, bitch. <laughs> In April, the third division moved into Nuremberg, which was held by what remained of the fanatical Nazi faithful. 
Lieutenant Michael Daly had landed at Normandy, earned two silver stars, and had been wounded. When he was released from the hospital, he was transferred to the 3rd and placed in charge of A Company. On April 18th, he volunteered to lead a patrol. Wolf Dick hit the medal. As Daly led his men down a city street. Um, That's not metal music, right? That's not. What's he doing? It's your. It's a song you undress. Work playlist? Yeah. You you didn't switch it back to metal. (laughs) As Daly led his men down a city street, a machine gun opened fire from an overhead water tower. Daly dropped the gunner with a single shot and pressed on. Another machine gun opened up on his platoon, wounding several men. Daly sprinted straight at the gun and fired into the nest, killing three German soldiers. In the distance, he spotted a German with a Panzerfaust rocket launcher taking aim at a Sherman tank. Daly ordered his men to halt, charged into a home, and opened fire on the German and the soldiers with him. He killed six men and regrouped with his platoon, but he wasn't done. Lieutenant Daly then ran to a nearby park when he spotted another machine gun position. Out of ammo, he grabbed the M1 rifle from a fallen American and took out the crew. In total, Daly had personally taken out 15 German soldiers in two machine gun positions. And you just fucking know he was awarded the Medal of Honor. The next day, however, Daly was shot in the mouth while trying to solo another German position. He survived, but the war was over for him. And the war was pretty much over for the 3rd Infantry Division as a whole. Just three weeks later, the Germans surrendered. The Marne men had made five amphibious landings, logged 531 days of combat fighting, and in doing so, had become the most highly decorated division in U.S. Army history. But it all came at a cost of 25,000 casualties, including almost 5,000 men killed in action. Audie Murphy would have a very hard time following the war, and he'd suffer from severe PTSD. When interviewed later in life, he said, War is a nasty business to be avoided if possible, and to be gotten over with as soon as possible. It's not the sort of job that deserves medals. But I mean, it's still kind of neat to talk about, right? End of story. Woo! We did it! We told the story of American heroes. You didn't think we could. Fucking did it again. You're like, these fucking libtards. They can't praise Americans. They hate America. Look at them. Their stupid commie podcasts, socialism, Nazis. These bastards here. Always talking about how January 6th was not a triumph for patriots. Well, we showed those guys. They denounce racism, which, you know, like, just hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> Wait, I got a phone call. I'll continue uh, this stuff. Yeah, I'll, yeah, we'll figure this out later. Well, All I'll right. Something, anything, God. <laughs> I need to throw them in a tight situation right here. Can you help me out? I got to figure out how not to be racist. I need to make the point that racism might be okay, but, but, but for a good reason. I don't hate anybody. You got, you got any ideas, fellow white brother? Anything, man. Well, that almost does it for the story. We have a little bit more to go. A little 
bit of info in the form of the fast facts. Fast fact number one. Another member of the 3rd Infantry Division was a German Shepherd named Chips. When the division landed in Sicily, Chips charged into a bunker and mauled two Germans and had to be pulled off the throat of another. Traitor. It's a good boy. As a result, he was awarded a silver star that was later rescinded when someone complained that military awards are for people, not for dogs. Chips would survive the entire war and would return home to his family. Fast fact number two. On the second day of fighting, Audie Murphy was leading a patrol when he spotted two German officers attempting to escape on horseback. He raised his rifle and toppled both men in quick succession. Murphy said he felt nothing but indifference. When another soldier said maybe he shouldn't have shot fleeing troops, Murphy said, That's our job, isn't it? They would have killed us if they had the chance. That's their job. Or have I been wrongly informed? Fast fact number three. Although Audie Murphy was pulled off the front lines following his nomination for the Medal of Honor, he still found his way into the fight. In March of 1945, he was working at headquarters when he heard that B Company was at risk of being destroyed. Murphy rushed to the front lines in a jeep, organized a platoon, and led them in the capture of a position and several German soldiers. Fast fact number four. All of the men we specifically mention in this story returned to civilian life, except for Keith Ware. In 1966, he was promoted to Major General, becoming the first and only draftee to ever rise from private to general in U.S. history. In 1968, Ware asked to go to Vietnam to lead American forces. Unfortunately, in September of that year, his helicopter was shot down, and Keith Ware was killed. Ended on a happy note. <laughs> it sounded so good. He was promoted to major general, becoming the first and ever draftee to rise to general, and then you're like, oh shit, he, he died. Because that's what war is, and you should not glamorize it like we just did for the last hour and a half, you fucking idiots. Everybody dies, Chris. You know that. Not me. I'm going to live forever. Thanks to your patriarchy. Even Willow and Bambi. Mm-mm. Nope. Captain Hook, Cinderella, Ooh. Anne Frank, <laughs> Polly Pocket. We're just listing all the fictional characters now. Jesus. <laughs> all the propaganda pieces that I've been sold in my childhood. Oh, he's back on the January 6th train, boys. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. No, war is hell. We all die, except for me. I'm going to live forever. As you know, rich people live forever, and I'm going to live forever because we're going to get that sweet, sweet Patreon money. Just check out our website, hunterproofhistory.com. There you'll find a link to our Patreon, where just $3 a month gets you access to 60-plus mini-episodes, old episodes that are not available to the uh, public, full episodes, and early release on all new episodes. It's well worth $3, and you'll be saving a life. And that's that makes everybody feel good. Especially my doctors, who say I'm not a candidate for transplant because of all the things I've done in my life. You grease the palms enough, everybody's <laughs> a candidate. That's right. And we have another uh, of those hangover episodes coming out, uh, what, this next week? 
Yeah. A week a week after that? Somewhere in there. Yeah, like we said in the intro, we're going on break, but the people on the Patreon are still going to get content while we're gone. Because they're our friends. Yeah, they love benefits, us. benefits, and that's one of the benefits. You can also check us out on social media at 100 Proof History, mostly on Instagram and Facebook, because Twitter is a hellscape where good people go to die and argue about politics, but mostly go to die. So we're not there very much. You can check us out on the other two, and we appreciate the follows. For myself, Wolf Dick, the guy who likes to throw both me and Greg under the bus for some reason this episode, Dan Dan, the intro man, we say thank you for listening, and we ask Greg, main host, award-nominated host, what else? Honestly, uh, there was a lot of headbanging in that episode, you know? All the mm-hmm. metal music, mm-hmm. my neck is fucking sore. Like, I was headbanging my ass off, even though it sounded like I was talking clearly into the mic. It's because mm-hmm. I had one of those Justin Timberlake mics where it's just on my <laughs> mouth, comes from my ear to my mouth, you know, yeah. concert performing mic. Mm-hmm. That's what I was using this episode. I had banged a lot. My neck is fucking sore. Um, us going into this winter break, I want to get out of the metal music a little bit, you know? I just want to just want to relax, be calm, and you know what, listener? Just uh, let's go out with a little... A little festive music, how about that? Goodbye, guys. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Like it. Now, I don't know if there'll be snow. Michael Bublé, but have bitch. A cup of cheer. <laughs> He's gonna sue have us so hard. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And when you walk down the street, say hello. To friends you know and everyone you meet. Oh, oh the mistletoe is hung where you. All right, fuck off. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Why is my fucking every orifice giving me trouble now? <laughs> Mustache is even bothering me right now. What the fuck is going on?